Good evening. What's behind the unrest in Jerusalem? Masks off if you got the jab. The U.S. is in good shape. India, not so good. And a funeral for a broadcast giant. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Tuesday, April 27th, 2021. In a sweeping 213-page report, the New York-based Human Rights Watch said today that Israel is guilty of the international crimes of apartheid and persecution because of discriminatory policies towards Palestinians within its own borders and in the occupied territories. Israel adamantly rejects that characterization, saying its Arab minority enjoys full civil rights. Human Rights Watch argued that Israel has demonstrated an intent to maintain the nomination of Jewish Israelis over Palestinians in Israel, the West Bank and Gaza, coupled with systematic oppression and inhumane acts. Israel rejected the reports. Human Rights Watch, they said, is known to have a long-standing anti-Israel agenda. The foreign ministry went on to say the fictional claims that Human Rights Watch concocted are both preposterous and false. Israel has exclusive control over 60% of the West Bank, its borders and airspace, and imposes restrictions on movement and residency. The nearly 500,000 Jewish settlers living in the West Bank have full Israeli citizenship, while the territory's 2.5 million Palestinians live under military rule. Meanwhile, dozens of people were injured when violent clashes erupted at the Damascus Gate of the old city of Jerusalem last week as Palestinian protesters confronted a group of some 300 extreme right-wing Jewish activists who marched to the scene chanting death to Arabs. Police trying to keep the groups apart also clashed with the Palestinians who threw rocks at the officers. The Middle East specialist for the Institute for Policy Studies is Corey Peterson-Smith. He says Israel, in the midst of its own political crisis, is growing more right-wing with every failed election. There's a number of things happening that are producing this violence against Palestinians in Jerusalem right now. Some of it is things happening right now, and a lot of it is actually things that have been happening for a long time. One thing is this is taking place in Jerusalem and the kind of main place where there's been these these really intense confrontations is at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It is Ramadan, and people are gathering at the mosque. And really, every year, Israel takes the occasion of Ramadan to have a large police presence at the mosque. This mosque in Jerusalem has been a site year after year of confrontation where Israeli forces show up, obviously, where where Muslim Palestinians and others are there to worship and to kind of provoke these confrontations. This year, the police in Jerusalem actually erected barricades around the mosque in a provocation. That's been one source of conflict. The other thing is that actually in Jerusalem, there is an ongoing really ethnic cleansing that's taking place in the Palestinian neighborhoods in Jerusalem. This is really part of the kind of day after day, year after year activity that happens in Israel, but it really has been heating up in the past year and and in recent months and recent weeks. There is actually a a neighborhood in Jerusalem called Sheikh Ajarah, which from which dozens of Palestinian families at the moment are facing eviction from their homes and Jewish settlers are preparing to move in. All this is going on at the same time, Israeli politics have just become so right wing, really the far right, 
is just part of his mainstream Israeli politics. You also have right-wing Israeli Jewish settlers who are essentially harassing and terrorizing Palestinians in the streets. That's the kind of confrontations that we're seeing. Are American Zionist uh, supporters involved in this? Always. Whatever activity is happening on the part of Israelis, whether in terms of the Israeli state, and that includes the national forces and the military, as well as local police. And if we're talking about just right wing Israeli Zionist organizations, the U.S. is intimately involved in all of it. Of course, it's U.S. funding that supports the Israeli military, the Israeli militarization. There's extensive cooperation between Israeli police and U.S. police. And of course, so many of the settlers themselves come from the United States, are themselves Americans. Absolutely. This this is intimately involved with the question of the United States and, and what we do here to defend Palestinian rights. How does this tie in with the trials of Bibi Netanyahu? It's a good question. And of course, Israeli politics on one hand has been at this impasse. They've had four elections, none of which have been able to produce a, a government. And so on one hand, they're not able to assemble this government and actually have a, a functioning Israeli parliament. And at the same time, what we're seeing throughout the course of these four elections is Israeli politics moving more and further to the right. Essentially, Israeli politics have what it's come down to is are you do you support a right wing Israeli government that is for Netanyahu or a right wing Israeli government that's against Netanyahu? But there is consensus on all the, the anti-Palestinian politics, the notion that Palestinians really don't have a place in Palestine, in their historic home. Corey Peterson-Smith is a Middle East specialist for the Institute for Policy Studies. And in COVID news, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention eased its guidelines Tuesday on the wearing of masks outdoors, saying fully vaccinated Americans don't need to cover their faces anymore unless they're in a big crowd of strangers. President Biden echoed the announcement at a news conference today. Starting today, if you're fully vaccinated and you're outdoors, you need and not in a big crowd, you no longer need to wear a mask. I want to be absolutely clear, if you're in a crowd like a stadium or at a conference or a concert, you still need to wear a mask, even if you're outside. But beginning today, gathering with a group of friends in a park, going for a picnic, as long as you are vaccinated and outdoors, you can do it without a mask. The CDC is able to make this announcement because our scientists are convinced by the data that the odds of getting or giving the virus to others is very, very low if you're both been fully vaccinated and out in the open air. Biden says the COVID-19 vaccines have had a tremendous impact in reducing deaths, especially among seniors. Less than 1% of seniors were fully vaccinated when I took office. Today, In less than 100 days, more than 67%, two-thirds of our seniors are now fully vaccinated. And more than 80% of our seniors have had at least one shot. That effort resulted in a drop of 80% in deaths among American seniors, a 70% drop in hospitalizations. So instead of losing thousands of seniors each day. We're saving thousands of lives 
and more and more as each day goes by. And meanwhile, India, home to the world's worst ongoing coronavirus outbreak, has reported more than 17.6 million cases since the the pandemic began last year. But the real number, experts fear, could be up to 30 times higher, meaning more than half a billion cases. Health workers and scientists in India have long warned that COVID-19 infections and related deaths are significantly underreported for several reasons, including poor infrastructure, human error and low testing levels. President Biden said today the United States is ready to help. India, they're suffering at what this moment. What do you moment. say to the folks in India? I'm sorry, I'm going to, just the last question I'll take, and I'm really going to be in trouble. With regard to India, I spoke at length with Modi, the Prime Minister. We are sending immediately a whole series of help that he needs, including providing for those remdesivir and other drugs that are able to deal with this and prevent in some cases, but recover, help recovery. Uh, Secondly, we are sending the actual mechanical parts that are needed for the machinery they have to build a vaccine. And that's being done as well. We're also discussing, I've discussed with him, when we'll be able to send actual vaccines to India, which will be my intention to do. The problem is right now we have to make sure we have other vaccines like Novavax and others coming on probably. And I think we'll be in a position to be able to share, to share vaccines as well as know-how with other countries who are in real need. That's the hope and expectation. And I might add, when we were in a bind at the very beginning, India helped us. Thank you. President Joe Biden, the country's underfunded, that's India, their underfunded public health infrastructure means that even in normal times, only 86 percent of deaths nationwide are registered in government systems and only 22 percent of all registered fatalities are given an official cause of death certified by a doctor. The majority of people in India die at home or other places, not in the hospital, so doctors usually aren't present to assign a cause of death. Meanwhile, CDC at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Dr. Rochelle Wolanski says the United States is in relatively good shape in confronting COVID, but she warned not to lower our guard. Several weeks ago when I had this feeling of impending doom and I, and I articulated that and I had, um, you know, case rates going, rates going up, vaccines, uh, uh, vaccinations growing, but not where we needed to be and, and deaths continuing to climb. As I look at the curve now, it's stabilizing. It's coming down. Um, the vaccinations have continued to grow, um, in, in an extraordinary way. I, I think we really do need to get more and more people vaccinated, um, as Kristen noted, we need to sort of combat the hesitancy that is out there, meet people where we where they are and encourage everyone to get vaccinated. Um, but as I see more vaccines uh, getting into people's arms, more and more people uh, being willing to do so, uh, confidence increasing. And then I match that with the, the cases that are starting to stabilize, plateau and come down, as well as Dr. Fauci's slides that demonstrate when the other countries have been a little bit ahead of us and shown that when those vaccinations continue to soar in the case cases plummet that we should be in good shape. And in New York City, the decision to allow vaccinated people to go without masks while outdoors was met with cautious optimism by Mayor Bill de Blasio. It will be the choice of each New Yorker what they're more comfortable with outdoor. 
So the federal government is saying you don't have to. Uh, I think a lot of people will still choose to, or at least a lot of the time will choose to. Uh, I expect a lot of the time I will, for sure, but it will depend on the circumstance. And so I think it's a, a new approach we can definitely work with. What we do want to focus on intensely is keep, keeping people in the habit of wearing the masks indoors, at least for the next couple of months. We've talked about June as an important turning point moment. I think people should anticipate keeping those masks on indoors, certainly during May and June, and then we'll reassess from there. Mayor de Blasio, and you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Bob Fass, the radio legend, father of Freeform Radio, hosted Radio Unnameable for more than five decades on WBAI. He passed away peacefully on Saturday, April 24th in North Carolina. The Hebrew Cemetery in North Carolina and Rabbi Teresa Clerf invited WBAI to live cast the funeral. Here are some of the clips. He cared deeply about the stranger, about those who were rejected in society, the orphans and the widows and those who had no one to help them. And that he also did everything in his power to disrupt, disrupt the path of those who were against equality, righteousness, and truth. The next selection isn't from the Bible, but was written by a famous Jewish poet who many think of as a prophet in our times and who was a personal friend of Bob's. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. For those that don't know me, my name is Lorelei, and I'm Bob's sister-in-law, and Lenny is my sister. It's not possible for me to speak to his professional career or any of uh, the path that it took or uh, the 50 or 60 years that... Uh, his listeners and faithful friends followed him, his cabal. We all go back to the times that we spent with Uncle Bob and, and Aunt Lenny, and it was in the Catskill Mountains of all places, and it was like every summer. And he kind of encouraged those kids, probably by way of getting them out of the way from the adults, to take part in uh, plays. We'll, we'll have these little vignettes, and they use the swimming pool as their ocean, and guess what? Bob loved this. And you know what? He became their videographer, their professional videographer. And let me tell you, it was quite a job wrangling all these little ones. But he managed to produce tapes of this, of them crossing the Delaware the pool uh, and, and other fun things. And we still have those tapes, I have to say. And they're, they're a precious memory. One of these kids who couldn't be with us today... Now I'd like to invite Jessica Wolfson, who's a close family friend, to come forward and share some. To get to know Bob was really to get to know his universe. A vast network of people from all walks of life. When we started to make the documentary, one of the first things we did was take on the very daunting task of trying to organize Bob's archive. Without it, we would not have been able to make this film. Hundreds and hundreds of reel-to-reel tapes living in Bob and Lenny's house, which I'm sure you all saw in every, every nook and cranny of their home. And with the help of our friend Mitch Blank, we actually recruited about 40 people to spend two weekends in Staten Island 
relaying tapes from the, the house to the yard, documenting them, sorting them into plastic bins. And some of those people were our friends, people who had not heard the show, but were curious about enough to spend a weekend hunting for promised gems of Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell, Abby Hoffman, Phil Oaks, etc. And others were Bob's friends and his listeners, excited to spend some time with him. You know, the man behind the voice of the late night hours. Bob sat on a lawn chair in the middle of all of this chaos and held court. Thank you for choosing us. And thank you for sharing your amazing universe with us. And I love you. Shalom, friends. Or should I say, good morning, Cabal. <laughs> With this gravelly voiced, amiable persona, Bob hosted budding and established legends of folk, R&B, blues, and rock. Some credit Fast with introducing Bob Dylan, a personal friend, to the world. From Timothy Leary, to Kinky Friedman, to Allen Ginsberg, to Abby Hoffman. He had a particularly close collaboration with Hoffman, one of the, quote, many Jewish troublemakers, in the words of radio journalist John Kalish, with whom Bob founded the, Yipp the Yippies. <laughs> During the notorious trial of the Chicago 7, Abby Hoffman called into Radio Unnameable with regular updates on the trial. What earned Bob the lifelong devotion of his friends and listeners, as well as his family, were his tremendous generosity, his ability to listen, his sense of humor, his deep-seated belief in justice and human equality, and his genuine love of people. Profoundly impacted by Bob's show was Lynn Linny Tofty. Growing up in what she described as the vast intellectual wasteland of Staten Island, she discovered radio unnameable at the age of 12. When she was 22, WBAI hired Linny to be their music librarian. Bob and Linny became a couple and started living together in 1984. In 97, they were married on the banks of a river near Woodstock. How fitting. According to Linny, Bob had an intense pride in his Jewishness, which was intimately connected to his sense of fairness, justice, and equality. Bob Fass's Jewish and radio identities, along with his sense of humor, were inextricable parts of who he was. Linny shared with me that a few weeks before he died, she found him in his bed in the ICU praying the Shema, the foundational Jewish declaration of faith, which traditional Jews recite daily, as well as on their deathbeds. Partway through his prayer, he stopped and the, did the WBAI sign-off. At this time, WBAI concludes another day of broadcasting. Um, say, 
Bob once told a friend that he'd like the rollicking 1930s jazz hit Don't Let It Bother You by Fats Waller to be played at his funeral. Bob Fast was 87 years old and he will be missed. The music he wanted played at his funeral is Don't Let It Bother You by Fats Waller. Bob, what's the matter with you? Oh man, everything's wrong. My old lady done run off with the ice man. What? That done my daughter run off with the undertaker. And I'm about to die. I ain't got nobody to bear me. Son, don't let it bother you. Listen here. Don't let it bother you. When things go wrong, if you're glum, just hum and song, good luck will come along. Don't let it bother you. If now and then, you may stumble, never grumble, down from one to ten. A frown is a smile upside down. Turn that frown upside down and smile. Sing, la-di-da-di-da-di-da-di-sing, sing, sing. Don't let it bother you. If skies are gray, learn to grin, take it on the chin, everything will be okay. Some of the news for Tuesday, April 27, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.